Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you so much, Crystal, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Triple Negative Breast Cancer and African American Women. Today's program is a collaborative effort um, with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Sisters Network, a national African American uh, breast cancer survivorship organization. The program is supported by Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and we really want to thank them for their support. And we have on the program today many breast cancer organizations as well, and many cancer organizations, and it's really because of that collaboration and your interest in this important topic that we have on the program today, over 469 participants on the call today. And you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban communities. And we also have international participants on the call today from Canada, India, Nigeria, and United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well, and we are delighted with your response to our program today. The program today is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Edith Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is clinical professor of medicine and medical oncology, Department of Medicine, Director, Center to Eliminate Cancer Disparities, Associate Director, Diversity Affairs, Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson, and 116th President, National Medical Association. And Dr. Mitchell is going to present an overview of triple negative breast cancer and triple negative breast cancer in African American women. It's really my great privilege to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you, Dr. Messner. It is a great pleasure to be on this panel today of such distinguished uh, individuals from many aspects of uh, the cancer community and especially the breast cancer community. Thank you for this opportunity. So triple negative breast cancer is cancer that tests negative for estrogen receptors, progesterone receptors, and excess HER2 protein. These receptors are special proteins that are found inside and on the surface of cancer cells, and their uh, function can be imagined as the eyes and ears of the cells. These eyes and ears, which are the receptors, receive messages from substances in the bloodstream and from other cells in the body. The hormone receptors inside it on the surface of healthy breast cancer cells, of <clears throat> healthy breast cells receive messages from the hormones, estrogen and progesterone. The hormones attach to the receptors and provide instructions to the cells about growth. Most breast cancers are positive for one or two of these receptors and that uh, can encourage growth and therefore production of abnormal cells that are cancer cells. 
A smaller percentage of breast cancers, approximately 20%, make too much of the HER2 protein, and in normal healthy breast cells, the HER2 stimulates growth. And when there is excess amounts of the HER2 protein, some of these cells can grow faster and divide too quickly and become malignant. So the hormonal therapies that we have available for treating breast cancer and the HER2-targeted therapies disrupt the effects of the estrogen, the progesterone, and the HER2 proteins on breast cancer. And these treatments can either slow the growth of um, cells or they can actually stop the growth of some breast cancer cells. Approximately 20% of all breast cancers, however, test negative for both the hormone receptors, estrogen and progesterone, as well as excess HER2 in the laboratory. And what that means that all three of these receptors are negative, and thus the term triple negative breast cancer. Since hormones aren't fueling the cancer's growth, uh, the cancer's do not respond to the usual medications that we have available for treating patients, those such as tamoxifen and other aromatase inhibitors, and the same is also true for therapies that target the HER2 protein, such as Herceptin and others. Uh, there are three common features of breast cancer, however, in patients, and first of all, Triple negative breast cancer is considered to be more aggressive, uh, grows faster, and in some areas have a poor prognosis. However, there are various treatments available that you will hear about later and lots of research ongoing uh, that is changing the likelihood of and the survival for patients with breast cancer or triple negative breast cancer. Uh, the tumors tend to be higher grade and divide quicker uh, than other breast cancers, and some may be termed basal-like. Uh, there are features, however, of triple breast cancer in groups. For example, triple negative breast cancer is more likely to be diagnosed in women younger than age 50. and uh, African-American and Hispanic women uh, are more likely to be diagnosed with um, triple negative cancer. Also, individuals with a BRCA1 mutation. Approximately 70% of breast cancer is diagnosed in individuals with an inherited BRCA mutation, particularly BRCA1, are triple negative. And with lots of research ongoing now, uh, these have changed, and there are medications now that give uh, great uh, responses and therefore better treatment for individuals with triple negative breast cancer. Many people become very upset when they hear triple negative breast cancer, but I want to say to the audience, First of all, thank you for being here today, but also find out uh, a treatment center that has great expertise 
in treating individuals with triple negative breast cancer. It's very important to find a team that can offer the newest in research, the newest in diagnostic uh, intervals, and the newest in terms of uh, treatment for triple negative breast cancer, making sure that with the team approach, the best therapy is offered to the right patient at the right time. So it's very important to make sure that you choose your team, choose the individuals who have experience and expertise in treating triple negative breast cancer. There is treatment and very effective treatment available. There are lots of research studies continuously ongoing that has improved all of the care of triple negative breast cancer. With that, I thank you for being on the telephone today to listen to our panel. I am very honored and privileged to be on the panel with such uh, a tremendously expert team. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mitchell, and we feel very honored to have you on this program as well. And um, this is just, um, and your presentation was outstanding and really set a wonderful tone and, and context for today's program. So thank you so much. Our next speaker is Dr. Lisa Newman. Dr. Newman is Chief Division of Breast Surgery, Director, Interdisciplinary Breast Program, Wild Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital Network. Dr. Newman is going to address the role of surgery and survivorship follow-up care plan in triple negative breast cancer in the African-American community. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Newman. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. And I would like to echo my colleague and friend, Dr. Mitchell, in expressing my uh, appreciation for being a part of this terrific panel. It's always very exciting and enlightening for me to, uh, to join your team. So I would like to preface my comments regarding surgery and the management of triple negative breast cancer by emphasizing the importance of screening mammography. As I'm sure all of your listening audience is aware, there's been a lot of attention uh, lately regarding uh, the controversy of when average-risk American women should initiate their annual screening mammogram to look for uh, breast cancer at an early stage before it uh, forms any symptoms or signs. And uh, some of this controversy involves choosing, asking a woman to choose between starting mammograms at age 40 versus starting at age 50. I would argue that starting that's those screening mammograms at age 40 is especially important for women that face an increased risk of triple negative breast cancer, which, as you heard from Dr. Mitchell, includes African-American women. I personally and most of my surgical breast oncology colleagues advocate in favor of screening mammography beginning at age 40 for all women, but again, I would argue that it's even more important for those who have an increased risk of triple negative breast cancer, such as African-American women. Early detection of triple negative breast cancer via screening mammography is well proven to be of benefit in effectiveness of early detection of this type of disease, which typically, as you heard from Dr. Mitchell, does tend to be somewhat more aggressive. And so early detection improves survival. 
It improves the likelihood that the woman can be managed with breast conserving surgery, and it improves the likelihood that the triple negative breast cancer patient might be able to avoid chemotherapy. So now I'll switch gears to discuss the surgical options for women who are diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer. And those surgical options are pretty comparable to the surgical options faced by a woman with a non-triple negative breast cancer. Most of these patients will require some surgery to control the disease in the breast, and one option for that surgery is mastectomy. When we do a mastectomy, we are removing the entire breast, and therefore we are taking care of not only the tumorous lump that was diagnosed and biopsied in the breast, but we're also removing any microscopic cancer cells hiding in normal-appearing breast tissue. For women who do undergo mastectomy surgery, we have wonderful breast reconstruction options offered by our plastic surgery colleagues, and the breast reconstruction can be done either at the same time as the mastectomy, which is immediate breast reconstruction, or it can be delayed and performed months or even years after the mastectomy surgery, depending on individual circumstances. The alternative surgical plan compared to mastectomy is breast conserving or breast saving surgery where we perform a lumpectomy to remove the obvious biopsy proven tumor and then that lumpectomy will almost always be followed by radiation therapy and the point of the radiation is to kill the microscopic breast cancer cells hiding in the normal appearing breast. Survival is exactly the same for women regardless of whether they choose lumpectomy or mastectomy. This is true for triple negative breast cancers just as it's true for women with non-triple negative breast cancers. Survival from breast cancer depends upon the biologic aggressiveness of the cancer. We get some clues regarding the biologic aggressiveness of the cancer by evaluating not only those three biomarkers, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and HER2 new, as Dr. Mitchell mentioned, but we also get clues regarding the aggressiveness of the cancer by evaluating the lymph nodes or the glands of the underarm, and this is typically with what's called a sentinel lymph node biopsy. If we see cancer cells hiding in those lymph nodes of the underarm, it's a powerful clue that the woman might also have cancer cells hiding in other parts of her body, which would require chemotherapy to treat them, to eliminate them. It does not mean that the cancer is untreatable. It does, it does however, mean that chemotherapy will be much more important in managing that patient's disease. So triple negative breast cancer patients are more likely to require chemotherapy, but we still have to control the disease in the breast. We do, however, have a lower threshold for recommending chemotherapy in women with triple negative breast cancer compared to women with non-triple negative breast cancer. If it is clear at the time of diagnosis based upon our estimated size of the tumor in the breast and based upon the clinical examination of those lymph nodes, if it's clear that chemotherapy will be recommended, then we will sometimes recommend that the patient receive chemotherapy prior to her surgery and the advantages to doing the chemotherapy preoperatively would be to shrink the tumor down so that the woman might become a better candidate for breast conserving or lumpectomy surgery. 
We sometimes recommend preoperative chemotherapy so that we can monitor the sensitivity of the cancer to the chemotherapy. And women where the disease in the breast does not shrink down rapidly, we might be able to consider an alternative investigational chemotherapy regimen or a different regimen uh, other than what was initially delivered. And for women where we deliver the neoadjuvant chemotherapy and we then do surgery but find that there was indeed some cancer left over, those women have been shown to benefit from additional treatments such as uh, capsidabine, or those women might be candidates to participate in clinical trials of novel uh, breast cancer treatments such as some of the immunotherapeutic approaches. Now, Dr. Mitchell also mentioned that triple negative breast cancer is a marker of women that have hereditary susceptibility for the disease. And this is very important with regard to African-American women because we really do need to learn a lot more about the genetics of breast cancer and in particular the genetics of triple negative breast cancer in African-American women so that we can understand uh, more precisely why African ancestry is associated with a higher frequency, a higher risk of these triple negative tumors. My international breast cancer research team has been working with uh, cancer treating teams in Africa. We've also been working with Ms. Jackson's organization, the Sisters Network Incorporated, to identify genetic markers that might be linking African ancestry with triple negative breast cancer. And we're actually very excited that we have identified some candidate genes that may be accounting for this association. And this, these candidate genes appear to be associated specifically with Western Sub-Saharan African ancestry. So we have a lot more work to be done to clarify these possible associations. I again would echo Dr. Mitchell's comments in strongly encouraging women to find uh, clinical trial opportunities if they have triple negative breast cancer and to tr identify opportunities where they can contribute to tumor registries, biorepositories, so that we can learn from their cancers. And again, I thank everybody for their time and attention, and I look forward to hearing any questions. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Newman. That was outstanding and really so informative. Uh, in, in, and uh, I hope that people really will have questions for Dr. Newman during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Dr. Generosa Grana. Dr. Grana is Medical Director, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, Division Head, Hematology and Medical Oncology, the Cooper Health System, Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. Dr. Grana is going to be addressing current standard of care and new treatment approaches, and genomics and triple negative breast cancer. It's now my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grana. Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be here, and I, too, feel very fortunate to have been invited to be part of this. I'm going to talk about um, drugs, our current use of therapy, and some of the research that's being done. And as Dr. Newman well said, triple negative breast cancer means no hormonal therapy is indicated and a lower threshold for use of chemotherapy. So I want to walk you through what some of that decision-making entails and what some of those drugs might be. While the journey often begins with a simple biopsy that shows a cancer that is triple nature, triple negative in nature, the approach for that particular patient depends on the presentation, as Dr. Newman said. 
uh, is this early stage disease, is this metastatic, or is this locally advanced, meaning bulky disease in the, in the underarm area. And triple negative breast cancer is a disease that really very much depends on multidisciplinary discussion, that discussion between the surgeon, the medical oncologist, and the radiation oncologist so that appropriate choices are made for the patient. In early stage disease, disease that's limited to the breast and or the axillary lymph nodes, the decision that needs to be made is whether to do surgery first, followed by chemotherapy, or, as Dr. Newman said, preoperative or neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Preoperative therapy is particularly interesting in triple negative breast cancer because it tends to be very responsive to chemotherapy. Uh, up to 40% or more of women will have a complete response to chemotherapy where there will be no disease left in the breast or the underarm area. And again, it may allow more women to keep their breasts and to do a breast-conserving approach. Standard preoperative chemotherapy tends to be a combination of drugs. Uh, adriamycin and cytoxin followed by taxol is a commonly used regimen, but other regimens exist that can be picked. There is tremendous debate about whether a drug called carboplatin should be added in triple negative breast cancer when treated prior to surgery. And there is currently an interesting study ongoing looking at the addition of immunotherapy with a drug called atezolizumab, uh, in which both the new immunotherapy is being looked at and carboplatinum is the standard in that regimen. So again, uh, preoperative therapy is a very interesting approach. Based on the response to the chemotherapy, further decisions can then be made as to whether kepcitabine, an oral chemotherapy, should be given for six months, uh, or whether immune therapy, uh, pembrolizumab, some of you will have heard of Keytruda, uh, can be uh, considered as part of a trial that's being done across the country. So I, too, am a big uh, lover of preoperative therapy because it helps us identify uh, other avenues for that particular patient. How about the woman where upfront surgery is done? Chemotherapy follows with radiation if the lumpectomy was performed, and sometimes radiation is needed even after a mastectomy. Chemotherapy is recommended for even very small tumors in the triple negative setting, five to six millimeters of disease that's lymph node negative, and the recommendation is to give thought to chemotherapy. Obviously, the woman's input, the woman's desires have to be taken into account as do her other health uh, factors, but it is at least something that should be considered. Chemo regimens vary. Again, many people use aggressive chemotherapy in this disease because it does behave more aggressively. So again, a common regimen, adriamycin, cytoxin, followed by taxol. Some of you will have heard of it as dose-dense chemotherapy is commonly used. But there are regimens that include taxotere and cytoxin or others. If a woman is mutation positive, you've heard about the hereditary aspects, BRCA1 or BRCA2, Studies are looking to see if the addition of drugs called PARP inhibitors that interfere with DNA repair may add benefit to a woman who has a triple negative breast cancer. So uh, a woman who's finishing her chemotherapy may be offered participation in such a trial, and I think those trials are very interesting because we clearly need to look for ways of improving outcome in triple negative disease. 
Now, let's switch gears briefly and talk about metastatic breast cancer at presentation or metastatic uh, breast cancer when it occurs later in the course of a woman's uh, journey. Uh, there, I think it's very important to look at making sure a biopsy has been done. We don't just want to rely on having had breast cancer that was triple negative. We want to retest. We want to repeat a biopsy, whether it's a bone lesion, a liver lesion, a lymph node, but we want to biopsy another new lesion because you want to confirm that the cancer hasn't changed its features. In about 20% of cases, there can be a significant change in the features of the cancer that can guide your treatment. You also want to use that new biopsy to do what is known as genomic profiling, or some people call it personalized medicine, but it's the concept that you look at the DNA expression of the cancer itself, not the, not the genetic hereditary uh, testing, but testing on the tumor cells themselves to help guide your treatment selection. Some of you will have heard of words like foundation medicine or CARES. Some institutions do this internally in their own institution with their own genomic profiling. But the key is this is the place where genomic profiles should be used um, to help guide treatment. If there's not enough material in the biopsy, we now can do what are known as liquid biopsies, where you look at cell-free DNA. And again, you get similar information. You get an idea of what alterations have occurred in that cancer and how can those alterations be used to select drugs. The test gives us information about potential targets for treatment, the potential use of immunotherapy. Uh, some of you may have heard terminology such as uh, tumor mutation burden or microsatellite instability, those are indications in a cancer that can help us to determine that potentially some of these very exciting immune therapies that are uh, used in other diseases such as lung cancer and melanoma may also play a role in breast cancer. In metastatic disease, the treatment is often not curative but we can often control disease uh, for long periods of time, and some women do go into complete remission. So it is very important to work with a good team and to discuss all treatment options. In metastatic disease, there are options that uh, include standard therapy, lots of chemotherapy drugs that have effectiveness. One has to look at whether radiation could be given. Uh, some people who have disease in the liver may get recommended liver-directed therapy for a particular spot. It's important that we discuss clinical trials at this point because there are many new drugs that are being targeted uh, to mutations that are identified in this genomic profiling. And, and again, it is really critical that that team that you're working with is well-versed in management of triple negative disease, management of these targeted approaches. Uh, we now have studies suggesting that if you have a mutation in the tumor or a mutation in the blood, uh, in BRCA1 or 2 PARP inhibitors can be very active. Sometimes androgen receptors can be identified in these cancers and can be targeted. So I think the future uh, is really very exciting for these patients, and the key is to take advantage of every drug, every treatment modality, and to be involved in some of the research that's going on to shed light on this further. And I'll stop here. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Brown. That was an amazing presentation, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Shavita 
Vinayak, and Dr. Vinayak is um, Assistant Professor, Division of Oncology, University of Washington, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. And Dr. Vinayak is going to present tips to manage side effects, neuropathy, and pain. These are all very critical issues for all of you, um, as well as key questions to ask your healthcare team about your quality of life. It's now really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Vinayak. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for giving me this wonderful opportunity to talk to all of you on the call today. Um, and I'd also like to thank our um, esteemed panel here. Um, so I'm going to talk about um, side effects of uh, treatments, including you know, chemotherapy, um, and then also some of the newer drugs that um, have been recently approved because those side effects are different than chemotherapy. Um, very excitingly, I think the landscape of treatment options for triple negative breast cancer, especially in advanced stage, has um, you know has been changing rapidly. And you've already heard uh, about uh, some of the newer drugs from Dr. Grana here. Um, so just within the last year, we've had two types of new drug approvals. Um, the first one is an immunotherapy drug, um, such as a checkpoint inhibitor, and then the second one is a PARP inhibitor. Um, currently, these drugs are approved, like I said, in advanced or metastatic breast cancer uh, in triple negative setting, uh, but they're also being evaluated in clinical trials for early stage triple negative breast cancer. In uh, addition to talking about chemotherapy, I'd like to talk about each one of these drugs uh, separately first because they have unique side effects, and I think it's important um, for women to be aware of them. Um, so first, we'll talk about the checkpoint inhibitor side effects. Um, this drug uh, was approved based on a new study, and the combination that's been approved is of a checkpoint inhibitor a drug called atezolizumab. Um, and it's going to be used with uh, chemotherapy called nabpaclitaxel, and we're already starting to use this in clinical practice. Both of these drugs are given um, intravenously. So immunotherapy drugs, you know, take advantage of the fact that uh, tumors sort of put up a defense or breaks, per se, against the immune cell's ability to destroy these tumors. So the checkpoint inhibitor drugs that come in basically allow the release of these breaks um, against, uh, the against the tumor and allows the immune system to really destroy the tumor, which is exactly what we want from these treatments. And in the process of you know, the immune system being activated, sometimes it can be overly activated, and what can happen is it can affect normal tissues and other organs in the process with the use of these drugs uh, that fall in the category of checkpoint inhibitors. And the most commonly affected areas tend to be skin, um, colon, lungs, liver, and endocrine glands. Um, so people can develop, you know, rashes, diarrhea, um, you know, lung symptoms, including uh, difficulty breathing, uh, can get abdominal pain um, in the, uh, related to the liver. And then also if there's significant, um, you know, fatigue that's out of the ordinary, that could be a sign of the endocrine glands being affected. Um, so I think really the most important message I want to get across uh, with the use of the checkpoint inhibitors and when we're thinking about side effects is it's very important to make um, your doctors or your oncology prov providers aware of any 
new or worsening symptoms early on, since most of these side effects are, you know, um, when they're mild to moderate or reversible when recognized and treated early. Um, and we typically intervene with uh, treatments such as steroids or other drugs, or sometimes if the side effect is uh, severe, then we recommend also stopping the medication. They tend to happen within a few weeks to months after starting the medication, uh, but it, they really can happen at any point, and we've seen it as early as within a few days of starting a drug. Secondly, I want to talk uh, a little bit about the PARP inhibitors, which you've also heard from Dr. Grana about. Um, there are two PARP inhibitor drugs that were approved in metastatic HER2-negative breast cancer, so they apply to patients, um, you know, outside of triple-negative breast cancer setting as well. Um, there are two drugs that are called Olaparib and Telazoparib, and they're both considered targeted therapies. These drugs really take advantage of the DNA repair defects that exist in tumor cells, um, and uh, then the tumor's um, ability to repair the DNA is, uh, you know, impaired, um, then it leads to cancer cell death by using these drugs. So patients with the BRCA mutation, um, which we can identify based on genetic testing, which can be done, you know, through a blood or a saliva test. So patients with the BRCA mutation and a HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer, you know, uh, for these patients, these drugs may be treatment options. Um, so I would just, you know, emphasize what you've already heard um, from, you know, um, all of our panel members, including Drs. Mitchell and Dr. Newman, that the genetic testing, uh, the importance of that in triple negative breast cancer, um, you know, I think is even higher now. And, uh, you know, I definitely encourage, you know, all patients to get tested um, just because it not only may impact your own treatment options um, and then also help us learn more about other cancer risks that you may have, but also, of course, it impacts uh, the cancer risks for other family members as well. The side effects of PARP inhibitors can include lowering of the blood counts, um, nausea, fatigue, or diarrhea, which are sort of the more predominant um, side effects. And overall, um, you know, in my experience with the use of these medications, I think patients find them easier to tolerate when compared to chemotherapy. And I think the other important difference is that these are pills as opposed to the IV medications which you know there are uh, which tend to be the predominant uh, uh, course of medications that we use in advanced stage you know triple negative breast cancer. There are several trials ongoing with PARP inhibitors uh, whether where these drugs are being combined with immunotherapy or chemotherapy. In terms of chemotherapy related side effects, you know um, so. Nausea vomiting um, tends to be one of the common symptoms associated with chemotherapy. I think we're doing fairly well in managing these, and there's lots of medications available. Um, so if you're on um, a chemotherapy drug and your nausea um, or vomiting is not controlled with the medications that you have, 
I strongly encourage you to talk to your providers about additional nausea medications because we really have a large number in the armamentarium of nausea medications that we can prescribe, uh, and they tend to be very effective. In terms of neuropathy, um, you know, if there is, uh, which is basically can be numbness or tingling in, you know, fingertips, toes, uh, a lot of patients describe it, the symptom, you know, similar to that, but it can also be associated with pain and unfortunately can also be a, a, a cumulative side effect of some of the chemotherapy drugs that we use. Um, in addition to some of the nerve pain medications that we can use to help alleviate the symptom, um, one of the other things that has recently be, been uh, described uh, based on a study has been acupuncture, uh, and that's a newer finding, which may also help with the symptom. Um, so that's a potential option to consider at you know one of the cancer centers uh, um, locally that you may have available. I think in early stage and uh, advanced stage uh, breast cancer, you know, depression, anxiety, or fatigue um, tend to be common symptoms uh, that we see in clinic. And um, I think exercising or initiating or maintaining physical activity can help reduce cancer-related or treatment-related fatigue. Um, I would also highly encourage you to seek out supportive care resources at your cancer center including uh, potentially meeting with a social worker, a counselor, or a psychiatrist. Um, there may also be support groups or peer-to-peer -peer programs that you can participate in, which may be helpful. Um, and then also I want to, um, you know, get a message out to, I think, uh, younger women, um, because uh, unfortunately younger women are affected with triple negative breast cancer. And you know, women with children um, try to do it all on their own, and this is where I think getting help uh, or seeking out help from family, friends, and other support that you have uh, is is you know really a great time um, to do so. Um, in terms of infections, um, again, similar to the checkpoint inhibitor side effects that I talked about. I think if you have a fever, um, which may be related to chemotherapy, the most important thing is that you let your providers know right away, uh, whether it's day or night, and uh, so they can act on, you know, assessing where uh, the fever may be coming from, what's the source of that infection, and really intervene very early on with antibiotics. Um, in terms of, you know, key questions uh, for your healthcare team, I think the first appointments in general, whether you're going for, you know, your first appointment with your oncology provider or you're going for a second opinion um, with a new diagnosis or if, you know, uh, a metastatic breast cancer patient and you've uh, recently progressed on the current therapy, those first appointments can be overwhelming and uh, you may have trouble listening and understanding or remembering information because of just the very normal, you know, distress and fear that you have. So I think it's important to bring someone for, you know, listening, a second uh, person who can listen to the information and also possibly take notes or record um, so you have this information for later on. Um, other things to ask the healthcare team are, you know, how soon will the treatment start? And if the plans need to be altered, you know, how will that be communicated to you? 
Um, how do you reach someone from your oncology team if needed? And really, what's the expected time um, for getting your concerns addressed if you have any new or worsening symptoms? Um, I think for patients uh, with metastatic breast cancer, you know, whenever there is a new scan that's done, that's when we think about possibility of change in treatment. And that's when I think also bringing someone uh, to your appointment for review of the scans and, uh, po and possible discussion of change in treatment is also helpful. You know, every time um, you have these discussions with your oncology provider, I think it's important to vocalize your own goals and priorities, especially, you know, with metastatic uh, breast cancer, because um, it's important to understand what's going to be recommended to you in terms of the treatment option, what is the success rate, what are the side effects of that treatment, and very importantly, as you've heard from all of the panel members, this is also the time to consider clinical trials. And, you know, with clinical trials, you may get newer drugs that have different side effects, but potentially even have a better quality of life depending on what the side effects of those drugs are. Um, and, you know, for patients who are undergoing treatments for metastatic breast cancer, they're in the really uh, in for the long haul on these treatments. So it becomes even more important to uh, ask questions about, you know, the effect on quality of life with, you know, all of the drugs that you're getting. And additionally, um, I think it's also important to ask your healthcare team about uh, other supportive services where there may be impact on, you know, of these medications on fertility, finances, and uh, including support for the care your caregivers as well. Um, and really just reaching out to them with, you know, any symptoms. Um, and I think, uh, as you've already heard, if you have any uh, questions and you want to reach out to triple negative breast cancer teams, you know, around and get second opinions, uh, this is also a great opportunity to get second opinion and think about clinical trials, if those would be applicable, you know, um, in, in your in this clinical situation that you're in. And really, um, I would encourage you to reach out to your team um, and vocalize your symptoms um, and, you know, ask for the supportive services that you need as you're going through this treatment. Um, I really want to thank everyone for being on the call here today and also thank the panel members for being here today. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Vinyaka. That was an amazingly comprehensive presentation and just wonderful information. I know there'll be questions for you. They are coming in. Actually, questions are coming in for all of our speakers now. Um, so um, online, and so thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Um, and um, our next speaker is uh, Ms. Um, Haley Dinneman. Uh, Ms. Dinneman is co-founder um, and executive director, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And Ms. Dinneman also um, really made today's program possible, so I really want to thank her for that as well. Um, and Ms. Dinneman will be addressing the programs of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation as well as give information about the helpline and website. So I'm now going to, with great um, delight, turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, um, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. 
Um, today's webinar and teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community from patients to survivors to caregivers and their loved ones. Um, today, I'd like to highlight a few of our offerings, and I sincerely hope that you'll take advantage of them as you navigate from diagnosis through treatment and finally to survivorship. First, we have many educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular materials were all developed with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. Um, like all of our educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to certain members of our TNBC community, including African-American women, those with BRCA mutations, those with early stage diagnoses, and also those with metastatic disease. Uh, so we work really hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials, and I hope you'll use them to your benefit. Um, also, our newly redesigned website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services. Um, it also offers a constantly updated uh, TNBC news section and a favorite of our community, our online discussion forums. The forums allow you to easily connect with other women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community, um, which includes thousands of women from those who are newly diagnosed to many, many long-term survivors, um, they use the forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, and anything else related to TNBC. But most importantly, our discussion forums offer consistent support to our community. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them, and you can even join anonymously. Um, of course, if you would feel that you'd benefit more from in-person meetings, I hope you'll consider coming to our next fall conference weekend. Uh, the TNBC Foundation partners with Living Beyond Breast Cancer every year to provide you with a specific triple negative program. Our 2019 conference weekend is going to be taking place in Philadelphia in late September, and it will include important educational offerings and opportunities to socialize with our incredible TNBC community. Um, we are going to open registration this summer, and if you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll be able to register not only for the conference, but also for travel grants to help you and your caregivers defray the cost of attending and I hope to see you there. Um, also, as most of you know, beginning on March 3rd, we rolled out our annual TNBC Day campaign to provide our community with opportunities for education and support and to back fundraising efforts for TNBC research. Many of you on this call have been supporting this TNBC Foundation-led effort for years, planning and executing wonderful events and email campaigns every March. I want to thank you for helping us spread the word and let you know that just like in past years, 100% um, of the funds raised by members of our TNBC community for TNBC Day will go to support TNBC-specific research. We hope we connect with you all soon, whether on social media, by phone, online, at tnbcfoundation.org, or live at one of our TNBC events this month. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. 
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Ms. Dimon. Um, actually, Ms. Dimon is also a lawyer, I should say, um, and she, I want to thank her again for um, actually supporting not just this program, but a number of different um, workshops that we do throughout the year on triple negative breast cancer. And, of course, um, our, um, we also have a, um, a helpline that is actually a helpline that's actually um, supported also by um, 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 Ms. Dinneman and many other, other, other resources that are available through them. So thank you so much. And our next speaker is Ms. Karen Jackson. Uh, Ms. Jackson is founder and CEO of Sisters Network, Inc., a national African-American breast cancer survivorship organization. And I'm delighted to have Ms. Jackson with us today. Um, she, this organization has meant a great deal to the African-American community, and um, uh, she will be addressing, Ms. Jackson will be addressing programs of Sisters Network, Inc., um, as well as uh, her helpline and website as well. So it's really my great pleasure and privilege to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Jackson. Well, good afternoon, and thank you so much to TNBC and Cancer Care uh, for putting on this teleconference, and of course, to the esteemed panel, I'm just happy to be presenting and representing Sisters Network this afternoon. Uh, for those of you um, who are part of Sisters Network, I welcome you and thank you for joining us this this afternoon. Sisters Network is a 25-year-old national African American breast cancer survivorship. 501c3 organization, and our headquarters is in Houston, Texas. We have affiliate chapters located in 20 cities, and they're listed on our sistersnetworkinc.org website as affiliate chapters. So those of you who have not joined, you have the opportunity of looking that up on the affiliate chapter under membership. As a 25-year, three-time breast cancer survivor myself, I can truly relate to surgery, chemo, radiation, and all of the treatments that we've all had to experience. As a national organization, what we offer is the sisterhood, and that is we share and nurture, and the bonding experience that we share is very powerful. Uh, we are the extended family that you're looking for. We are like the song we are family, the sister sledge, sisters. We are family. It is a strong bond which we nurture all the time within our affiliate chapters. Sisters Network, we have your back. Our affiliate chapters are survivor-run. That's very important to know. And that they are the cornerstone of why we exist and why we have been able to sustain ourselves over these 25 years. Under our support system, we still have the standard support of our support meetings every month within the chapters, but most importantly, the information and resources and the treatment and the understanding that we have as a support organization, we understand that from city to city and patient to patient, information is important and local and national information has to be shared and understood. So we take the time in a personal setting to make sure that you understand your situation. We do provide that one-on-one -on -one type of mentoring that as an individual, most of us need to have that bonding first with a one-on-one -on -one or several people and then the, uh, the group uh, dynamics clicks in. 
it's important that you have someone that you can count on at any time. And we have, of course, the call-in system where you can reach a person if you need to ask information outside of the support system. Another area that's very important and the goal of Sisters Network is to provide new members with information so that they can access quickly correct and uh, resource information that is available in the in the city that they live. Many times not having access to the right help can be devastating. We include fear as one of the uh, I should say, sisters realizes that this is one of the areas, and we factor it in because fear is the enemy. And as triple negative breast cancer survivors, um, you can and we understand the uh, the survivor's ability, uh, not understanding, and the willingness to make decisions is difficult. So no matter the intelligence of the person, their education, their income, or having insurance. We know that fear hinders us, so we have several hashtags that cover this. One of them is fear is the enemy. The second hashtag is fear makes us equal. The third hashtag, knowledge is power. And the last hashtag is African-American new normal. As an experienced national organization, our focus is to keep membership updated with the changing new protocols, clinical trials, and policies, and to help eradicate the sense of shame after your diagnosis. And we hope to replace it with a sense of pride that you're not alone and that survivorship, you have found a new beautiful normal. Some of the programs, and they're listed on our website, and we have brochures uh, that are available on sistersnetworkinc.org. Our programs are standardized, and they're designed to bring knowledge to the community and to the survivor. And it also shares the sisterhood, which is the essence of family, joy, and love. Our programs, as I mentioned, are standardized. So we have regional conferences. We have educational luncheons, our support meetings. And we have a program that we instituted in 1995, which is still very much used with our local chapters. It's called the Gift for Life Block Walk. If you go on our website, you'll see, too, our national walk. This is our national ninth walk. It's a 5K walk run held here in Houston at Discovery Green. And we're expecting some 8,000 people from across the country and many are members of the the affiliate chapters, friends and family. And we have a celebrity um, honorary chair. Her name is Tina Lifford. We invite you to come. You can meet Tina Lifford, who is one of the stars from Queen Sugar. We have a fabulous soloist, Kathy Taylor. And we have presenters uh, who are congressional people, and we have uh, physicians who are talking about the different issues that we need to hear about. We hope that you can, if you are not able to participate in person in the Houston Walk, that you do a virtual walk with us. And you can do that by registering on stopthesilencewalk.org. We appreciate all the assistance that we've gotten from women across the country. We encourage you that if you're interested in having an affiliate chapter 
in your city, you can go on the website and fill out the application or call us direct at Sisters Net at the one eight hundred number eight six six seven eight one eighteen oh eight. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Jackson. That really is an amazing and wonderful resource for everybody on the call. So that um, please do um, take advantage of these services, and please also do um, take part in this walk. It sounds amazing. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker um, is um, Lauren Chatelain, um, and Ms. Um, uh, Chatelain is an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care, and she's director of the women's. Uh, uh, program here at Cancer Care, and um, she will be describing the services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Clinical Trial Matching Service. It's really my great uh, uh, privilege to introduce Ms. Shetland to all of you um, and, uh, um, and um, to my esteemed colleague, um, Ms. Shetland. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. I'm very happy to be a part of this program today. Um, as Dr. Mesner mentioned, I'd like to briefly speak about how the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care can assist in finding and understanding clinical trials. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered to ensure that those diagnosed with TMBC have access to free psychosocial information, support services, and information about clinical trials. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These services include one-on-one -on -one counseling offered in person in the New York City area at one of our offices, as well as short-term telephone counseling nationally. Additional services include TMBC-specific support groups, TMBC and clinical trial education, and reading materials, as well as limited financial support. Clinical trials can test the benefits of new treatment for someone diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Clinical trials take place throughout the U.S. and beyond, and participants being volunteers. Many trials take place in large medical centers, hospitals, and cancer centers. Clinical trials are tested in phases, each phase having a different and specific purpose, such as safety, how well a treatment may work for a certain type of cancer, and to compare the new treatment to the established approved treatment. Clinical trials may also evaluate a new method of preventing cancer, diagnosing cancer, or improving quality of life. Clinical trials may provide an opportunity for patients to access the latest in cancer care and help identify new therapies for people diagnosed with cancer. Being involved in clinical trials may contribute to research in helping others. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation offers clinical trial matching services, as Ms. Dinnerman had mentioned. These services can make your search for these trials faster and easier. You can speak to a trained clinical trial navigator by calling 855-731-6036 or by visiting www.emergingmed.com slash networks slash TNBCF. As my colleagues have addressed, there may be emotional and practical challenges that arise throughout the treatment of TNBC. 
By calling the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, you are able to connect with an oncology social worker and access services through the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. You can reach us at 877-880-8622. Our professional oncology social workers can help you understand the benefits of clinical trials and what that may mean for you and your loved ones. We can also explore ways to connect with others, such as becoming a member of a TNBC-specific online support group. We are here to offer you support throughout this experience and are looking forward to hearing from you. It has been such a pleasure to be a part of this very informative program today. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak today, and I'll turn the program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, um, Ms. Fetchelin. That was really outstanding and um, just a wonderful resource for everybody on the call today, so um, please do take advantage of this resource. It's, um, it's a wonderful resource for all of you. And now we have time for questions, and I realize we have a lot of online questions that have been coming in um, throughout the call. So I'm going to um, uh, ask um, Crystal to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. Everybody knows how to do this, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. If you don't get your question at the end of the call, I will give you our resources to get your questions answered. So, Crystal. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And our first question comes from Deborah S. Your line is open. Yes, my question is I have a second new triple negative diagnosis. My first was in '08 uh, and now 2018. My question is how does this happen? Thank you. That's an excellent question, Deborah. I know that's an interesting question that many many um, women ask. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Groner if you could address that question. I think uh, this is challenging. So uh, it would be important to know if this is in the same breast or if this is in the opposite breast. We know that there is a risk of new cancers occurring in the affected breast, and there's also a risk for every woman of developing another cancer in the opposite breast. Certain women have a higher risk of both of these things, and they tend to be women who carry mutations in the breast cancer genes. Uh, but unfortunately, we do see this, and the time frame, that 10-year time frame, makes it, if it's in the same breast, more likely to be a new cancer rather than a reoccurrence, although sometimes that's hard to tease out. The important thing now is to sit down with your team uh, to do genetic testing if it wasn't done previously and to plan out your treatment uh, so that drugs, you know, even though you may have had chemotherapy in the past, other drugs can be used that won't have the same toxicity. So, yes, unfortunately, we do see this, and it does take a team now to help you put together a plan that's right for you. Thank you. Um and um I have a question um actually from one of our online participants. Um let's start the discussion with Dr. Newman. How early should African American get mammograms and um also the um also African American women and Hispanic women as well? Um, 
So I think the question is regarding to mammographic screening in African-American women. And if the woman is of average risk, meaning that she doesn't have a strong family history of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, or men with cancer in the family, suggesting that there's a clear-cut hereditary predisposition, if the African-American woman is of average risk, then I would recommend starting at age 40 and continuing mammograms every year. For women that do have evidence of hereditary susceptibility, such as the family history of breast ovarian cancer or men with breast cancer in the family, or women that had radiation exposure to the chest wall during young ages, such as radiation treatments for certain types of lymphoma when they were teenagers or young adults, all of these categories of women are at higher risk for getting breast cancer even at younger ages. And so these women uh, need to get their mammograms at younger ages. We usually say five to ten years younger than the youngest age of breast cancer diagnosis in that family. And they will also need to get breast MRI as a supplement to mammograms on a yearly basis. And they need to see their uh, physician for checkups regularly. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and question for Dr. Grana. Um, if a mother has breast cancer, does her son also have to be monitored? It depends on the mother's genetic status. We do know that women who have breast cancer, their daughters have an increased risk of developing breast cancer, and the amount of increase in risk depends on the age at which the mother was diagnosed. So if she was diagnosed over the age of 50, the daughter's risk is less. If the mother was diagnosed under the age of 50, her risk is higher. If genetic testing has been done or could be done, that's important because if the mother carries a mutation, certain mutations also are associated with the son's risk of breast cancer and prostate. So for example, BRCA1 is associated with, if the son is also a carrier, an increased risk of prostate cancer. BRCA2, if the mom carries a BRCA2 mutation and the son does also, uh, that risk is a 50-50 risk. The son is at increased risk of breast cancer and prostate cancer. So it's important not just knowing the mom's history, but also knowing if genetic testing has been done. Thank you. Um, and uh, we have another question from one of our online participants, um, and this one is for Dr. Vinayak. Um, and um, how long after stopping chemotherapy is the patient at risk for developing neuropathy? Is there an increased lifetime risk, such as with lymphedema? Um, so in terms of neuropathy, um, so it depends on, you know, what chemotherapy uh, was given uh, for the treatment. Um, typically, we do see that uh, neuropathy is one of the, you know, last side effects to go um, after the chemotherapy is completed. It can take several months to sometimes even, you know, more than a year for it to improve. Um, and mostly we see that it tends to get actually a little bit worse after the chemotherapy is completed before it starts to get better. Um, but as we talked about, I think if there's pain associated with the neuropathy, then use of some of the medications that can help with uh, alleviation of pain, like especially the ones that affect or help with nerve pain can be very helpful in this situation. 
Um, and then there's also consideration for um, acupuncture. I think if the neuropathy is in uh, feet or if it's affecting, you know, ability to, you know, um, to walk or exercise or it's affecting their balance, then we also recommend, you know, physical therapy in that situation. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have a question for Dr. Newman. Um, if new, new adjuvant used and there is a complete response on imaging and tumor, and previously biopsied clipped axillary lymph nodes. What is the surgical plan um, for the axillary lymph node at surgery? And again, to answer in a general way. But... Should I repeat the question? Or... Should, I, should I repeat the question, Dr. Nguyen? Oh, I'm sorry. I had to, uh, the so, mute on. Yes, please oh, do. Sure. Oh, so it's neoadjuvant used. It's used, and there is complete response on imaging and tumor and previously biopsied clipped axillary lymph nodes. What is the surgical plan for the axillary lymph node at surgery? And again, to pass, um, answer this in a general way, of course. Because... Okay. Thank you for that important question. In women where there was a needle biopsy confirming evidence of cancer in the lymph nodes prior to treatment, if the chemotherapy prior to surgery looks like it has melted away all of the disease in the lymph nodes, then the best surgical procedure is something called a targeted or selective sentinel lymph node dissection where we use blue dye and a radioactive tracer to identify the most important remaining sentinel lymph nodes after the chemotherapy. But we also do an x-ray of the lymph nodes that are removed, of those sentinel lymph nodes removed at surgery, to confirm that the biopsied lymph node is included. When those lymph nodes are biopsied at the time of diagnosis, a clip should be placed in the lymph nodes so that the lymph, the original metastatic lymph node can be x-rayed to confirm that it's been removed with the sentinel node surgery after the chemotherapy. If the original lymph node that was biopsied was negative for disease, then the woman just needs to have a standard sentinel lymph node biopsy after the neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And the target of surgery for the breast would be whatever appears to be the residual amount of disease in that breast unless the woman had a pattern of uh, cancer initially indicating the need for a mastectomy uh, regardless of the response to the chemotherapy. And this would be an example of this would be a woman with inflammatory breast cancer. Thank you. Um, and for Dr. Grana, um, an online question. Can you clarify there is a subgroup of patients with triple negative breast cancer that test positive for estrogen receptor beta and future research with S-trace? I actually can't really comment on it. It's not an area that I'm very familiar with. Um, but I would maybe others on the call know more about the topic. Anyone else wish to comment? Could you repeat I can't that help question you. again? Oh, sure, I'll repeat the question. Um, I don't want to just, oh, sorry, I'm like, <laughs> um, I could. Oh, yes, here. Um, oh, sorry. Um, did someone want to comment on it? Shall I maybe find it and repeat it? Um, so I think the question, this is Dr. Vinay, the question was about estrogen receptor beta and triple negative yeah. breast cancer. Yeah. Um, 
I know it's being looked at uh, in clinical trials currently. Um, there is thought maybe about a third of the patients with triple negative breast cancer may have some form of estrogen receptor beta expression, um, but it's only in clinical trials currently, and they're looking at drugs, you know, specifically targeting this. Um, it's not an approved treatment yet. Yeah. And the the other thing that's uh, an important element of some of this clinical trials work, but re it, it's a uh, kind of related to this concept of variants of hormone receptors is a, a lot of exciting work is being done looking at the androgen receptor in triple negative breast cancer and this this pattern of disease might make a candidate make a patient a candidate for anti-androgen therapy. Thank you. And um there's another question one of our participants um and um Dr. Agrana, um, what is the risk of recurrence if there is a PCR with neoadjuvant chemo? That is actually the best prognostic group, um, but unfortunately there does continue to be a risk of both local recurrence as well as metastatic recurrence. Uh, MD Anderson has a prognostic nomogram where you actually can put in information about the size and stage of the tumor prior to the preoperative chemotherapy, the ER, PR, HER2 new, and then the findings at the time of surgery. And for any particular patient, it gives you uh, an overall idea of what the risk is. But again, if you are dealing with a triple negative breast cancer um, that has a pathologic complete response, that is by far the best prognostic group. And I would say, again, unless this was inflammatory or unless this was just very, very large, uh, these are patients that are well under 10%. Thank you. And um, a question for, um, thank you so much, um, and a question for Dr. Newman. Um, are there any specific concerns from African-American women to participate in clinical trials? So I would say that clinical trials are especially important for African-American women, uh, and in particular with regard to triple negative breast cancer, because uh, there are some uh, preliminary data suggesting that some of the genetics of triple negative breast cancer are specific to women of African ancestry, and we really do need to get a handle. We need to have better documentation of how some of these uh, genetic variants might be uh, indicators of response to specific types of treatment. So clinical trial participation, and even if a woman is not actually participating in a treatment-based clinical trial, contribution or agreement to uh, participate in tumor registries is very, very important for women uh, with African ancestry. Excellent. Thank you. And um, um, for Dr. Um, Vignac, um what is the latest research on RAD mutations in TNBC? ESMO guidelines recommend platinum agent first line in BRCA or RAD TNBC, but in the U.S. we can only get platinum if in our CT. I'm sorry, can you repeat? Is it RAD yes. TNBC? RAD, R-A-D, yes. Um, what is the latest research on RAD mutations in TNBC? Oh, okay. So like RAD 51, okay. Um, so... Um, I would say, uh, I mean, that's a great question, um, 
And in addition to identifying uh, BRCA1 or 2 mutations in triple negative breast cancer, which we know the most about, there are um, several studies that have been done um, where they've looked at, you know, um, the general profile of these genetic mutations among all triple negative patients, regardless of family history. And there are definitely other DNA repair mutations that have been identified, similar to RAD51. Um, in addition, there are many others like ATM1, I mean, ATM, PALB2, et cetera. And um, there is uh, work being done on uh, trying to understand the effectiveness of drugs like PARP inhibitors for, you know, patients who have, have RAD mutations and what is the role of PARP inhibitors. Um, that's being looked at in a clinical trial, which is a sort of a national clinical trial currently uh, through the Translational Breast Cancer Consortium that's being done at many sites. Um, so they're looking at use of, you know, single-agent PARP inhibitors such as Olaparib in patients who may have other DNA repair mutations other than BRCA1 and 2. Um, in terms of role of platinum, I think that's unknown. Um, you know, biologically, we think they maybe act, you know, similarly in the tumor, so they should be more sensitive to um, platinum therapy. Um, however, we don't um, really know that. So I think it's a consideration for platinums, um, and again, being looked at in clinical research, uh, but it's not something we would recommend, you know, um, just off the bat. Thank you. Nice. And uh, for Dr. Groner, where can I find the data to support the linkage of infertility treatments to breast cancer? There's actually very little data supporting a linkage between infertility treatments and breast cancer. The little data that exists is actually related to a risk of uh, ovarian uh, slightly, uh, but even there the data is very, very negligible. So I am not... Uh, sort of dissuading anybody from pursuing infertility because it may increase their risk of breast cancer. Thank you. Completely agree. And I guess we can hear a collective sigh of relief in the audience, so thank you. Really and, and, you know, fortunately, um, if you have a young triple negative breast cancer or even a young estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, there's data that future pregnancies whether done through fertility or not, may actually be quite safe. So I think women that are getting treated for breast cancer who uh, continue to have menstrual cycles, who uh, are adequately treated in every other way, um, there are fertility options for those women. Yeah. yeah. And very important for these young women to ask their doctor about fertility preservation options because you want to explore those options before treatment is initiated. And uh, Dr. Messner, could I just make one uh, quick comment? Please, I just yes. wanted to congratulate uh, Ms. Karen Jackson and the Sisters Network Incorporated for uh, 25 years of absolutely uh, phenomenal advocacy and uh, support of the African-American uh, breast cancer community and all the work that they've done with outreach education and uh, clinical trial uh, encouragement. Thank you, and we, I think we all joined that. We well, all joined that praise as well. Thank you, and um, and, and really wonderful to have uh, such a network um, Inc. on this program. And Karen Jackson, wonderful, just really amazing. Um, 
I think this will be our last question, but it's an important one. Um, and I'm going to leave this open to, um, I'll start with Dr. Newman, but please others add as well. How do we find treatment centers that specialize in treating triple negative breast cancer patients? It's always a challenge for people. Uh, how do you find uh, specialists Treat, in triple negative breast cancer? Was that treatment centers that specialize in treating triple negative breast cancer? Yeah. Well, I would encourage anybody listening to reach out to any of us who've been on this uh, teleconference call at any time. Uh, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation is also very, very helpful at providing information regarding resources, uh, both uh, clinical um, expertise and uh, clinical trials that are available, uh, Susan G. Komen uh, Breast Cancer Foundation, Karen's organization, Sisters Network Incorporated, all of these websites provide wonderful and uh, very uh, reputable, reliable information on uh, resources and expertise. I would add that it's important for uh, the woman who's seeking uh, care for triple negative breast cancer to seek a team uh, rather than just yeah you know, seeking a surgeon or a medical oncologist or a radiation oncologist to really look for an institution that's going to provide a multidisciplinary team because this disease more than, except for maybe inflammatory breast cancer, this disease is one that really is calling out for that kind of approach, the interaction between the team to decide, do I do chemo first, do I do chemo last, what is the role of genetics and in including a genetic counselor, uh, all of the supportive elements. So really, rather than just focusing on triple negative, focus on multidisciplinary care because that will also include the triple negative expertise. Yeah, yeah that's extremely important, uh, absolutely. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You have been phenomenal, and this has been an amazing, amazing program today. Um, so I want to thank our speakers. I also want to thank all of you who've been listening to the program today and all of you who've asked really such great questions um, and actually uh, really great, really amazing questions, frankly. And um, and I, um, I, I realize we could go on probably for another half hour, hour, but we really, of course, I do want to be respectful of everyone's time. So, um, so I, in closing, I did say that if you didn't get to ask your question, even if you got to ask your question, I would also recommend that everyone on the call go back to treating healthcare team. That's really important, of course. Um, they know you the best, so even if you asked a question, please take it back to your healthcare team. And, um, but for those of you who didn't get to ask the questions, you have phenomenal organizations just on the call today that you can call. Um, and, you, and at the end of the call, you'll be getting an evaluation. But you'll also be getting, in that evaluation, it's not just an evaluation, um, because we know how people feel about evaluations, so we'd love for you to fill out the evaluation. But in the evaluation, we also include all the resources that were mentioned during today's program. So that I know some of you may have been taking notes, but still it makes it much easier for you to get a summary of those resources. And, um, of course, the organizations um, that have resources for you um, are the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Sisters Network, Inc., a National African American Breast Cancer Survivorship Organization, and those are really key organizations for you to call Susan G. Komen, of course, as well. Um, and as well as I always give out um, an, uh, the National Cancer Institute. Um, they also do have a, um, a toll-free number, and they also have a website. And their website has a live, live chat feature where you can actually post your question and, and have a conversation with one of their online participants online. 
one of their online information specialists. So you have a lot of resources, and you'll be getting that from us. Um, so, um, and for any of you who wish to pursue um, any further counseling services from Cancer Care, please do call us um, or visit our website or um, email us as well. Um, uh, as we conclude the program today, um, we don't want any one of you to feel alone in coping with triple negative breast cancer or dealing with any type of cancer. We want you to, to now know that there's a lot of resources for you, a lot of people who really um, are very concerned and, wish and have services to offer you, and services that collectively could make a huge difference for each of you. Um, so please take advantage of them, uh, of all these resources. Um, and I do want to mention a few programs that we have coming up. One in particular I want to mention is um, because some of the medications that you may be taking are oral medications, take them by mouth, you have to remember to take them, which is not so easy to do all the time. So we have a program calling Taking Your Pills on Schedule, um, and, it's, um, and that's happening on Wednesday, April 3rd. And that may be of interest to some of you because it's actually um, something that you may be having to do, and whether it be medication for your treatment side effects or medication to treat your cancer, pills to take to treat your cancer. We live in a world in which the issue of remembering to take them, when to take them, how to take them is really important. So this call really does address that, that concept. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. And I again want to thank um, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation for really supporting this program and other programs like it. There are many more coming up. And also, um, and of course, the Four Sisters Network for being on, on the call as well, and all of our speakers, and all of you. Thank you all, and have a wonderful day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.